The following program is paid for by Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS number 7233. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Gateway Mortgage Group. Contact your local branch for more information. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, sponsored by Gateway Mortgage Group. Now in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome to the Money Hour at 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, November 19th show. I am your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. My goal is to help you keep keep you updated on the latest news and trends in our local economy. Keep me tuned in and I'll keep you informed. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to rebroadcast. I'm here to answer any questions or connect you with the guests that I have on the show today. Uh, please call at 1-855-411-50. Again, that's 1-855-411-50 or online at themoneyhour.com. And the lineup for the show today, I have Ryan Lutquist with Lutquist Appraisal Company. Hot topic if you're in the market purchasing a home what's happening in the appraisal arena. And last guest in studio is Dr. Cabrun Chapnick with Amen Clinic, Clinic Northwest, investing in brain health and how it can improve your health of your finances. Great information and great guest in studio. For more information on any topic discussed, please call the show at one 855 411150. Again, that's 1 855 411150 or online at themoneyhour.com. And let's start out the show today with a little money chat. Money. Money. So today I thought I would actually do a little self promotion of what I do full time, which is mortgages. And I want to bring up a couple guarantees that I have because this show is really about uh, making money and adapting to what's happening in our local market. And uh, those of you of my regular listeners know my full-time career is a mortgage professional. And I'm always looking for ways to be able to stand out and adjust my business according to what's happening in the current environment. And right now, um, if you're out there looking at properties or any of my realtors that are listening to the show, know that there's a lot of multiple offers going on and really being able to put together an offer that's unique and will stand out in the multiple offer crowd will help you win in this arena. Now, I can't help in all areas, but I can help you when it comes to financing. So this is a shout out to my buyers that are looking at purchasing homes. And it's also a shout out to my realtor partners that are looking for a great lending partner that can help in this crazy multiple offer scenario. I want to mention two guarantees today. Uh, First is a closing guarantee. It's a thousand dollar buyer 30-day closing guarantee. Now, I know a lot of lenders out there are needing 45 days to close because of issues that are coming up and timeline challenges with appraisals. Um, Not dealing, we're going to talk to appraiser a little bit later in the show today, Um, but I'm not having challenges as far as the appraisal, so I'm, I'm able to honor a 30-day closing period. So when you're in a multiple offer scenario, going in with a 30-day close versus a 45-day close can definitely make or break that offer coming together based on that and to that closing date. Now, of course, for the guarantee, there are things that apply um, to the guarantee. Number one, that the contract must be received 30 days, um, calendar days from the scheduled close date. Now, not to say that we can't close less than 30 days, but in being able to guarantee a closing date, um, 30 days is what 
client is uh, required. Um, also, for a client, it is really a team effort. And one great thing about guarantees is really setting up expectations of what everybody needs to do to have a successful outcome. And sometimes when you've got a guarantee attached to it, people are paying more attention to what they need to do. And it really is a team effort. It's a team effort between your mortgage professional, which in this situation would be myself, uh, the client, as well as the real estate partner. So on the client side, talking to you as a buyer, what's most important for you is to expedite when things are being requested. First of all, you need to be pre-approved and ready to go before you make an offer. So the majority of your documentation has been collected, but there's always going to be updated documents that are coming through once the offer is accepted. So um, for my guarantee, I ask that documents are turned around within 24 hours of being requested. So just have that sense of urgency when your mortgage professional is requesting documentation. It can mean closing on time or not based on uh, getting those documents turned around. Now, also client must provide uh, payment authorization for a rush on the appraisal. So I just order all my appraisals with a rush. That's how I'm uh, enabled not to have a challenge with the turn times for the appraisal because it's getting ordered as soon as the offer is getting accepted. Um, so we're not needing, I'm not needing to wait for disclosures to be signed and sent back, just getting a credit card. And as soon as that offer comes, that contract comes together over into our office, I'm going to immediately order the appraisal and do that on a rush. Now, the appraisal fee, yes, you can pay $595 for an appraisal. Not likely. Most, most of the time in this market right now, you're paying without a rush, probably about $795. Add another $150 to that for a rush, and what will happen is the appraiser's going to actually pick that appraisal up over the other one. So I know it sounds kind of crazy, but what happens if you look behind the scenes is appraisal order is submitted, um, and then it goes out to all of the appraisers that are appraisers that are part of the pool with that company. And the appraiser is going to pick and choose what appraisals they want to pick up based on two things the actual fee associated, so what are they going to make on that appraisal, and what the estimated time that's being requested for that appraisal to come back. So um, just anticipate and plan on paying a rush to ensure uh, that there's not cha challenges with the appraisal turn time. And then obviously, uh, my $1,000 30-day closing guarantee is based on no delays from things that are out of our control, and that would be from the seller or any property issues that may come up. If the appraiser goes out and there's work orders that need to be completed that are going to delay the closing uh, process, then that would um, void the guarantee. But uh, moving forward with your offer, having a 30-day close and then also in that pre-approval letter having a thousand dollars on the line to ensure that that closing timeline is going to be guaranteed is going to help you in a multiple offer scenario now the next guarantee that i want to mention which is unique to the market i don't know any mortgage prof professional that has a guarantee to the seller based on financing and surely not the way that this guarantee is is made up first of all it's a five thousand dollar guarantee Yes, 5000 to the seller if for any reason the financing now falls through. Now, if there's a guarantee out on the market, I doubt it's $5,000, but there may be a seller guarantee. But let me tell you what the guarantee is going to state, that if the buyer does anything to jeopardize their financing, the guarantee is going to be void. That makes sense, right? A pre-approval is based on the information provided to the client at the time that they took loan application, which means anything that changes during the financial financing period, if you lose your job, you buy a new car, um, you get your funds from a credit card, which is not acceptable, by the way, uh, it jeopardizes the financing and the financing will not go through. But here's what I've done. Again, I'm trying to be unique in this market to really give my buyers and my referral partners Realtors, a step up and to be able to stand out in a multiple offer scenario. So my guarantee states that the guarantee is not 
subject to anything related to the borrower, i.e. loss of job, new debt, funds to close, anything that's under the borrower's control, the guarantee still stands. Now, I'm not saying to any of you buyers out there that if you get laid off from your employer, you're going to get financing. You're not. But what I'm doing is I'm backing my $5,000 guarantee regardless. So I'm looking at it as a cost of business. At a high level, I'm communicating with my buyers what they can and can't do to make sure that they don't jeopardize their financing. Now, that one-off scenario where you as a buyer lost your job and the financing's not going to go through, I'm okay paying $5,000 to the seller because I'm looking at it as a cost of business. Overall, I'm helping my buyers get their offers accepted and it financially makes sense. Now, here are what will void that guarantee. If for any reason there's property issues and the value prevents financing, the seller guarantee is void. If the seller backs out of the contract, so for any reason the seller decides not to move forward, it's void. If closing extension is requested by the buyer and not granted by the seller, got to put that in there because if something comes up, again, property issues and it takes more time and the seller's not willing to extend uh, the closing date, uh, that will void it. If buyer withdraws application and the seller agrees to allow him to do so, doesn't happen typically with my buyers. Once uh, you guys are committed to moving forward with financing, um, uh, usually you're not going to back out, but uh, that is uh, part of the, um, uh, the requirement. And last, if a buyer decides to back out of the contract when financing is still available. Obviously, the guarantee is not going to be attached there. But I promise you, in a multiple offer scenario, if you have a pre-approval letter that have these two powerful guarantees, a 30-day closing guarantee and a $5,000 financing guarantee for the seller, you will stand out in a multiple offer. And it's my commitment to help you win in today's real estate market. Coming up next on The Money Hour, Brian Lutquist with Lutquist Appraisal. What's happening in the appraisal arena? Right here on 1150 AM KKNW after the short break. Is bad credit holding you back from getting a loan? The credit experts at SW Group can help you get back on the right track. Their team of experts has helped hundreds of people across the country fix their credit and get approved for the home of their dreams. Take charge of your financial future today. Call Scott Schaff at 954-531-2153. Again, that's Scott Schaff at 954-531-2153. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here at 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, November 19th show. I am committed to providing you knowledge needed to be successful in every area of your finances. Knowledge is power, and that's what you'll receive from listening to the show today. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but you can always call the show at one 55-411-50 or online at themoneyhour.com. And conversation right now, not in studio because he's out of our area, but very, very excited to have a conversation with Ryan Lundquist with Lundquist Appraisal Company. Ryan, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. 
Oh, hey, thanks so much, Tina. Really appreciate uh, getting to be on your show. So thanks for reaching out. Of course. And a little bit about Ryan. Ryan's a certified residential appraiser in the Sacramento area. His clients include homeowners, real estate agents, governmental agencies, attorneys, and lenders. Ryan runs the Sacramento Appraisal Blog, which is a top-ranking appraisal blog in the United States. And I have to say, Ryan, um, in the middle of your bio to give a shout-out, because that's how I found you by reading your blog. And I thought, my gosh, even though you're not in the area, which is really, I I like to have people right here in studio with me versus um, over the phone. But I was so impressed by uh, the writing and information you provided. I just had to call you and and have you in studio. So um, Ryan has been seen multiple times on CBS, quoted in the local and national publications. He is the chair and housing Opportunity Committee for the Sacramento Association of Roll Tours, and he is a board member of the Real Estate Appraisers Association of Sacramento. Ryan also won the Affiliate of the Year Award in 2014 from the uh, Sacramento Association of Roll Tours. And really excited that you're involved with Association of Roll Tours. I am as well. Uh, Seattle King County Roll Tours, Washington Roll Tours, uh, Women's Council of Roll Tours. I'm all you know passionate about all of those. So um, very excited that you are as well. So let's just go ahead and get started, Ryan. I mean, it's it's really really crazy real estate market. I know in your area as well as is here in our area with all of the multiple offers because of the lack of inventory. And then we add to that uh, what's happening in the appraisal arena. And that's why I thought it was just a really appropriate time to, to have uh, you and a conversation with you and what's taking place. So why are appraisals taking so long right now, Ryan? Yeah, well, that, that's a really good question. And this is definitely an issue. And actually, there was, um, there's a committee in Congress that met yesterday. There's a, there was a two hour meeting. Um, ironically, no appraisers were at that meeting. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But, um, uh, just a meeting to talk about modernizing, um, some of the, um, the appraisal. Um, some uh, the appraisal process anyway. Uh-huh. So because because of this issue, I think it's a response to hey, why are appraisals taking so long, and what's going on here? And so, in short, I mean, there, there's definitely less appraisers than there were say 10 years ago. I know in California we have 40 percent less than we did um, about 10 years ago. But the thing is, is that um, we actually I, I think what we're seeing is just a correction in the market on one level where fees have been so low for so long and you have appraisal management companies that have been just skimming off the top for so long mm-hmm. that I think the markets come back and appraisers are saying, hey, no, I don't, I, I'm not willing to work for that low fee. Yes. And so, so yes, on one hand, there, there are far less appraisers, but on the other hand, like I just, I just saw a post on Facebook in a private appraisal group and then you know, the appraiser somehow has this um, has a screenshot of um, the fee structure, and so the borrower paid six hundred and fifty dollars for an appraisal. The ANC is taking three fifty and then giving three hundred to the appraiser. That's and crazy. So, yeah, so you have the system like this, and then so over time, you know, I, I get invitations every single day like many appraisers across the country saying, "Would you join our ANC?" But I just click delete. I don't. Yeah. I don't even read them. Um, because I know exactly what's going to, you know, what the fee structure is going to be like. And it's not, you know, it's not something I'm interested in. Yeah. And, and I have, I've kind of, you've got to, you've got to play around with things a little bit to find 
that sweet spot. And uh, let me know what your thoughts are here, Ryan, because what I found, I, I always let my clients know um, they've got to pay in a, a rush right up front. And I just let them know what they need to do for us to be successful, because that's what my job is. My job isn't to ask questions and what they feel like doing, but to instruct them on exactly what we need to do, because ultimately we we all want to come to the same uh, result, which is having a successful closing and not a 45 success, a 45 day successful closing, but a 30 day successful closing. And what I found is, you know, I put the appraisal fee out there at 995, which is um, has, you know, the rush in it. And then also, instead of asking for a week for it to come back, I'll ask for it to come back in two weeks, because I know if the appraisal comes back in two weeks that I'm going to be able to close no issues on a 30 day closing. And but if I put it out there at 995 and ask for a target date of one week, it takes it's harder to get that appraisal picked up. So can yeah. you kind of explain behind the scenes why it's the same amount of money, but I've just adjusted my request for the a target. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. And I just want to say applaud you because that's very smart, because the thing is, is that markets change all the time and mm-hmm. there's no such thing as something, you know, gas isn't always the same price forever. No, yes. Neither is toilet paper or eggs or whatever. And same thing with, I think, appraisal fees. And then we you know when a group of people get busy, like kind of like hiring a contractor right now in my market, if you want something, you know, quick, it is going to be nearly impossible to find someone because they're so busy. Yes. And same, same thing with appraisers. And so, I think when you look at a market and think, wow, okay, there's there's less appraisers than there used to be, but then you have some appraisers that are saying no to, you know, some lowball fees, mm-hmm. then you have to offer something market rate, but then be be reasonable and think, gosh, if, if appraisers are so busy and they're taking longer to do their work, you know, you're, it's almost like setting yourself up for failure if you say, yeah, we need this in five days mm-hmm. and here's $600 because then they're going to, you know, whoever the AMC is, they're going to shop around for the lowest fee possible and find that one person who's going to do it, you know, but then they might take two weeks to shop for an appraiser. Mm-hmm. And so if up front you know that here's what the market's like, then you're acting within what is reasonable for the market. And I think that's what wisdom looks like in business. Yeah, and it's just, it, it's, it's interesting. And, and um, thank you for the, the compliment there, Ryan. And it's interesting to, you know, find out what, what works because the money wasn't what it was all about. The money is a big part of it. But also, am I setting up realistic goals um, for the appraiser that's going to pick that up? Now, you had mentioned AMC, which stands for Appraisal Management uh, Company. Ryan, can you explain that to my listeners that don't understand what that is? Sure. So when Dodd-Frank was enacted um, years ago, um, gosh, what's it been, five five or so years, maybe mm-hmm. maybe nine, I, I, I don't remember. But um, part of Dodd-Frank, it separated um, the, the ordering process for appraisers. And so loan officers, real estate agents, homeowners no longer directly hire an appraiser for um, an appraisal that's geared towards Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, um, you know, most banks. Mm-hmm. And so um, private private deals, they can hire appraisers all day long. But so um, what happens is that there's a third-party appraisal management company who is ordering the appraisal instead of that, you know, the, the realtor, the agent, or homeowner. And so that third-party company is essentially, you know, been skimming the appraisal fee, sometimes cutting it in half, um, you know, taking, you know, way too much. But other times there's some that, that are very reasonable. Well, there's some that are, you know, much more pleasant to work for. So mm-hmm. that that's kind of what what an appraisal management company does and is. 
And, you know, the, the, the why behind it, which is always nice when you're talking with somebody to explain uh, what's happening, the why befi- behind it is because when the mortgage professionals and the banks had control over it, they were pressuring, uh, intentionally or not intentionally, if one appraiser said that he could support value and the other appraiser said he couldn't support value, well, where would all the future business go? It would go to the appraiser that could support the value. So it put it added pressure onto the appraiser, which they felt um, uh, was not protecting what the true value uh, was. And so there's a, there's, it makes sense and why that's there. Now, also, I, yeah. I want to talk, I've been saying for years, Ryan, that our appraisers need to get a raise. There's going to be a time where there's going to be an issue, and I'm surprised that it took this long. Once the appraisal management companies came in, and just as you said, they started taking a lot of the fee. Not only that, but you guys never got an increase in your fee anyways. And then all the behind the scenes of what's required to, uh, to train somebody to come and help the team. I mean, it's, it's, again, surprising that it's it has taken so long for this to happen. But talk a little bit about the appraisal fees and the increase, uh, decrease of that. Yeah, so appraisal fees, I think they've been very subdued for years. And I know this is the part where people, you know, say, oh, get the violin out. Let's start playing that because I feel so bad for you. But, um, but the thing is, is that I think what we're experiencing is um, some of the unintended consequences of the implementation of Dodd-Frank and the mm-hmm. appraisal management company system. And so you have years where appraisers have been beat down or, you know, there's so much um, that appraisers are being asked to do and reports are, you know, twice as long as they used to and they're yes. just being so scrutinized. And so you have people who are saying, you know, I, I'm tired of the industry or it's really difficult to train new people. And so I think that, you know, or education that um, has actually been raised. And so yes. to become an appraiser, it's it, it takes even more. And so if, if it takes more to become an appraiser, appraisers are getting paid less, um, then it's going to be a real problem. And I think we're starting to feel some of that in, in the in the real estate community. And so, you know, we really need to give attention to that and make sure that appraisers do have a market rate fee, something that's market rate. Where mm-hmm. I, I don't think appraisers are saying, yeah, I need $4,000 for this appraisal. You know, that's that's not, not what should be happening unless it is a $4,000 appraisal. But, yes. um, you know, just I, I would just argue for, hey, let, let's go reasonable market rate. And I will tell you, um, as a um, industry leader in the mortgage uh, world, that if you're out there, you charge nine ninety five. Ask or put it out there at nine ninety five. Ask for a two week turn time. Um, you should have no challenges uh, with the appraisal process. Now, Ryan, what do you wish? For if you were talking to my role tours, because I have a lot that listen to the show, what can they be doing differently when interacting with the appraiser? Yeah, you know, sure. That's and that's a fantastic question. I, what my ideal realtor, and I, I speak to realtors every single week in mm-hmm. offices. Um, you know, I have so many who subscribe to my blog, and I, I, you know, I'm really, I'm really a fan. And so all this is coming from a good place. I'm not nagging to anyone. <laughs> But I'd say when you're working with appraisers, make sure that you take off your realtor hat where you're selling something and put on your data hat, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and you want to tell the story of the marketing of the property because if an appraiser is going in there and wanting to um, put a value on this property, then value is all about context. And you ask, how does this property fit in the market? And so, you know, we want to know things like how many offers were there? Um, you know, what specific prices? What upgrades have been made to the home? Um, what type of feedback did you get about the property um, to, um, you know, when uh, from agents and, and from um, prospective buyers? And, 
you know, and if it's okay, you know, why did the seller select the buyer's offer? You know, what's mm-hmm. been happening in the neighborhood market? Anything about, you know, the property in particular? And so I, I find that sometimes that agents will fall into sort of a default mode and they'll, you know, just sort of put on this sort, sort of 2005 mentality where, hey, I need you to hit the number. And, yeah. you know, that's probably not good ethically, okay, but mm-hmm. but I would say on a practical level, that doesn't really do anything to help the appraiser do his or her job. And so if you can provide data in the hands of the appraiser, that's fantastic. Um, and in, in addition to all that that I mentioned, which I actually have a sheet, I can, I can send it to you if you want, if you want to post it on the show or, okay. you know, get it to someone. But I, I love when agents fill out this sheet. Um, and then meet me at the property and then, um, you know, then I have everything all in one place and it's really focused on data. You know, it's not, you know, stuff that I'm just going to throw away. You know, if an agent hands me a stack of stuff that mm-hmm. he or she thinks is good, it, or I'm like, well, this is good for the recycle bin. And so I, I just want to hear the story of the property. And so, and that, and that um, makes um, a total sense, Ryan. And, you know, the crazy thing. So if I'm, uh, we're talking to the realtors that are listening to the show right now, um, you're doing all of this work and doing all of this research on the property beforehand anyways, because your clients are asking for it, especially when they're having to go in, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 plus over asking price um, to compete in this market. So why not provide that uh, to the your the appraiser? Um, now, I'm going to take us to, to break here, but I'm going to I'm having two segments with Ryan because I think this is such an important uh, topic for conversation. So coming up next, don't turn the station because we're going to have more conversation uh, with Ryan about what's happening with the appraisals and how how to be successful and win right here on 1150 AM KKNW after this short break. Kathy Morrow of Remax Performance Plus has been successfully selling residential real estate in Washington since 1997. She has the passion and experience in real estate to bring a successful outcome to your particular real estate quest, whether you're buying or selling for the first time or an experienced real estate investor. Hi, this is Kathy Morrow with Remax Performance Plus, 206-295-9503. Again, Kathy Morrow with Remax Performance Plus, 206 206- You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here at 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday November 19th show, bringing in expert advice and inside knowledge on today's events and our local economy and how it can affect your money. And I'm having a conversation with Ryan Lenquist with Lenquist Appraisal Company. And this is just such a, a timely conversation to have right now with everything that's happening uh, in our market with appraisals. And we were talking a little bit, uh, a, a shout out to uh, realtor professionals that are listening uh, to the show and kind of really having to provide prepare and to assist uh, with the appraisal. And it kind of brings me into uh, another question, Ryan, that I'd like to ask you. Uh, The appraisal is based on the appraiser's opinion of the property. And opinion means that there's a a variance in in what the value of that property is. So in helping prepare up front of, of the history of the property, which you talked about, also your interactions with the appraiser to make their job a little bit easier 
can help and assist in that. Now, what do you see in how an appraisal, do you um, have a, and I don't want to put you on the spot, Ryan, if this isn't something that you that you have, but what is could be the percentage that you could see appraisals vary from one appraiser to another? Is there? Yeah, well, so, I mean, here's the thing. I, I think when we hear the word opinion, we all think, oh my gosh, that's, that's horrible, mm-hmm. you know, but I mean, everyone has an opinion, but the thing is, is that the opinion should be based on, you know, market data and, and it needs to be, here's my opinion of value and it's supported. And mm-hmm. so it's not like I, I would walk into house or another appraiser would go and go, wow, this green shag carpet is, you know, minus 20%, or I really don't like modern architecture, so this house is going to, you know, get a low value, or or I really like this type of architecture, so it's worth more. And so the appraiser shouldn't be subjective like that. Mm-hmm. There is an opinion of value, but it needs to be supported. And so, but the thing is, is that if we're honest in real estate or with anything, there's always a reasonable range of value. Yes. And so if I was going to sell a dresser on Craigslist, and then I might think, okay, here, here's what they've been selling for, and I'm probably going to get around $125. And I might be happy, though, anywhere from 115 to 140 And so when we look at a property, we wouldn't look at it, this house and say, it's worth exactly $567,462.38. Because... <laughs> The market's not that specific. Yes. And so I think that we we like to think that value is that specific, but we really might look at something and then think, you know, it's very reasonable based on data, mm-hmm. based on trends for this property to sell anywhere within the range of 550 to 570. And so maybe it has some extra upgrades. It's got that accessory dwelling and, and it's got all the bells and whistles. So we, we, when we're looking at the data and we see sort of this range of, of, of prices, mm-hmm. we're looking, wow, you know, I'm going to reconcile the value towards the higher end of that range because this one is cream of the crop. And, or maybe if a property needs a little bit more fixing, it's a little bit more outdated, well, here's the range of value. It just makes more sense that the market would probably respond and say, yeah, you know, we're going to pay a, a little bit lower on that range. And so I think we just have to respect the range. And, and so, you know, when it comes to contract prices, that just reminds us that, you know, the contract isn't something holy and, and yes. it's something that, that can be negotiated. And, and I think that during uh, the ramp up of values uh, 10 plus years ago, we got so used to in the real estate community saying that, you know, the contract is holy and we can't touch it. Mm -hmm. The appraiser's got to hit the number. But I think we need to sometimes back off that and go, wow, you know, sometimes properties get in the contract for too high. Sometimes it's too low. Um, But if it's right within that range, then then the appraiser can certainly just bring it in right at the contract and say, gosh, the buyer and seller nailed value. They did a really good job. This is a reasonable representation of the market. And and that's fine. So, Ryan, let's also talk about, because, and and, and fortunately, I have to say, I have not had a lot of challenges with value. So, um, you know, my my realtor partners are, are doing an excellent job. Uh, out there and strategizing up front so we're not having value uh, challenges. But um, what you do hear with value challenges, a, a common thing would be, well, we had all of these other people that were willing to offer this price for the home. So that surely determines that what the consumers are willing to pay for this home right now have to be that value even though that there are not comparable supporting it. Can you answer that, Ryan? 
Well, yeah, I, I mean, I would say yes and no. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, sometimes there's not there's not good sales, or maybe maybe there's just they're low sales, they're short sales, or distressed, or so, something was going on. And so those sales, they're not really comps; they're sales, and we need to call them what they are. Mm-hmm. But other times, I mean, a property is really unique, and we're going to have to really ask the question: How does this fit within the market? And it may not be. You know the sale. You know two streets over. It, it may be you know something that's um, you know two miles away that that's really more adequate because it's a custom home and there's something so special about this. But I think when a property has multiple offers, sometimes that says something about the market where mm-hmm. we go. And, and so if I hear from an agent there were ten offers on this property, and if I don't believe the agent, I'll say great, email them to me. I want to see them. Okay. And then if the agent doesn't email them to me, I think well. What's going on? And I understand there's disclosure rules, but sometimes uh-huh. agents will say there are you know seven offers on this property. You got to be able to back it up. Please tell the truth. But uh-huh. the thing is that sometimes there's a lot of offers, and sometimes it reflects the market. But other times, I think it's a reflection of financing. And so if you look uh-huh. at some neighborhoods where there's FHA, VA, and there's there's very little skin in the game, you know, you might see a property that's been on the market for a long time, and then all of a sudden there's a full price offer. Yes. And it's like, okay, is that the market or is that financing? Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm always asking the question of agents, okay, there were all these offers, what price levels? And then talk with me about what the conventional FHA, VA, and cash offers have been coming in at. And so... I think that I, I want to hear that story because sometimes that tells me quite a bit about the market too. And, yes. and I might be able to think, wow, okay, here were people really, really putting some serious money down and um, maybe this says something about the market. And there have certainly been times when I think before I go out to a property, I start pulling data and I'm like, wow, this looks like it's in contract for way too much. Mm-hmm. But then I begin talking with the agent and I hear all the information about the property and I start to get a, a little bit of a different perspective. And then the more I talk with other agents about the comps and such, you know, I, I can, you know, sometimes I'll just conclude, yeah, this, this is a reasonable representation of the market. But if, it, yeah. if I didn't do my research, then I think I would have originally concluded, oh, no, this one's not going to make it. So you brought up loan program, and I, I want to talk to you about that because I was at a, a couple months ago uh, a Roll Tours uh, Association uh, meeting where they had an appraiser come in and, and speak, and it's really interesting. I've been doing this for 20 years, and, and I know I don't know everything, but you start to get in your, your space thinking, wow, I've got this nailed, and I know everything. And I had no idea, and it totally shocked me, but then and it made sense when I heard him say this, that he says in, you know, a multiple offer scenario, you've got cash buyers and then you've got, you know, um, buyers that are coming in with a 30% down payment. And then you've got one buyer that's coming in with a 5% down and that 5% buyer is paying top price for the home. And let's say maybe they're paying an extra $10,000 for this home. He actually discounts the value that's over what at the top um, a value discounts for the fact that the buyer is a conventional 5% down competing with cash buyers or high down payment buyers because he's feeling that that buyer is being forced to pay more than the home is worth. Now we're assuming we're talking about there's no comparable properties that can support this value. So I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that they could support the value could be determined based on what the buyer is coming in with for a down payment. What are your thoughts and what can you share yeah. on that? 
Well, I mean, I can understand that sentiment, and I mean, I think uh, on one hand we have an eye on okay, what are what what's the quality of these buyers in terms of their their financing, and uh-huh. because maybe that says something about the market. But in truth, though, the proof of value is found in the comps. It doesn't matter if you know a grandma is selling to her grandson for a dollar. But you assuming know, there's no that, assuming there's no comps, though, that's where the challenge is. Is there's there's no comps to support the value. You've got other offers that are here, but you've got this low down payment that's paying a little bit higher value. Do you, would you feel in that scenario that they're being forced to pay a higher value to compensate for the fact that they're a low down payment competing against? cash buyers. Well, well, yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. And I I think that that's why we see sometimes you see FHA and VA buyers who are paying more than anyone because they're really looking at what they can qualify for. And the thing is, is that they have to compete with other offers that are going to look much stronger when the realtors, um, you know, give those offers to the seller. And so, I think that's why in a lot of cases we we do see that. Yeah, definitely. So another shout out for uh, the real estate professionals when you have a buyer that's doing a low down payment or an FHA uh, loan really put some extra work into preparing that data for the appraiser to really help. Um, Because if you can see behind the scenes and what what the appraiser is thinking, really it can help put that picture together. So Ryan, what advice would you uh, give to sellers about pricing their homes? Yeah, sellers. Okay, so it's very important um, to realize uh, that buyers are very much more in tune with the market these days than they've ever been before. And so I know sometimes in real estate, we like to bag on Zillow and, and Redfin, and we don't like maybe those estimates, you know, the estimates of value. But the thing is, is that buyer, buyers are really in tune with the market because they're paying attention to Zillow, they're paying attention to Redfin. They are very aware of all the listings in the neighborhood. And so you, oftentimes in a market, when buyers get to the table and they start making offers, um, they they know what they're doing. Now, not in all cases. Sometimes mm-hmm. buyers really blow it. But I'd say sellers, um, what, what they're more prone to do, they're not doing that type of research. And what they would do is look at the highest sale from three streets away and then think, there it is. you know. And then mine is $20,000 better. So, but what they really have to do is look to the sales that are actually similar, what has sold, and then not only just the sales, but they have to really pay close attention to the listings. What is actually getting into contract right now? Mm-hmm. Okay, because we, we really see the market, we give attention to the sales, but we really have to watch the listings and the pendings because that's where we're going to see current value. Just like in the stock market, I would want to know if I was going to invest in Apple. Let me look at Apple sales over the past two years, but yeah. ultimately it comes down to what is Apple stock selling for right now today? Okay, and Samsung 7 Note, I'm probably not going to buy that stock right now, okay? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, but... um. But but I, I would just say to sellers, pay very close attention to what is actually similar because you're going to have all sorts of issues if if you don't listen to your agent who really knows, um, you know, what's reasonable and then the property gets into contract and the appraisal comes in low, but it's not really low because that's kind of where it should have been marketed. Um, so just pay attention. That, that, that's sure. what I would say. So, Ryan, I've got one minute. Um, I've got to wrap up my time with you, but I want you to answer a question if you can. How do you come up with adjustments in the appraisal reports? Uh-oh, in just one minute. Okay, so <laughs> adjustments, 
adjustments should reflect the market. Okay, there's no such thing as just a list that will make sense in every area. Okay, we we say like, okay, here's a pool, and it's worth you know twenty thousand dollars. But I would say, well, which neighborhood is that? Beverly Hills? Is that New York? Is that um, Seattle? And so the adjustment should really be specific to the market. Okay, because adjustments might look different depending on the price range, depending on the neighborhood, depending on the location, and so. Um, it's all about what are buyers in this area willing to pay for that feature. And that's that's where we need to get adjustments from because as much as we would like that list to be there, there's just there can't really be a list like that because it wouldn't make sense for, for every location. Makes sense. Ryan, thank you so much. I'm so glad that I was able to uh, have you for a couple segments instead of just one. Next time, I'm going to have to give you the entire show because just such valuable information for any of my buyers and sellers out there and definitely for my realtor partners. So um, I want to thank you again for uh, spending some time with me today. Oh, hey, thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, you, uh, you have a very happy Thanksgiving, okay? You do the same, Ryan. Coming up next to the Money Hour, how can you improve the health of your finances? Dr. Cabron Chepnik with Amon Clinic Northwest investing in brain health right here at 1150 AM, KKNW after this short break. Isn't it time to get the right answers? Whether you or a loved one struggle with ADD, attention, depression, mood problems, autism, addictions, weight, memory loss and dementia, learning or behavioral problems, we can help. We at the Amen Clinics specialize in powerful brain imaging called SPECT that when combined with detailed clinical histories, cognitive testing and often lab work paints a clear picture of your brain. Additionally, we are committed to using the least toxic, most effective means at our disposal. We call this the Amen Clinics Method. The Amen Clinics Method allows us to look at your brain patterns and treat conditions based on your specific brain type. What we've discovered from our over 115,000 brain scans is that imaging changes everything. There's not just one type of depression, ADD, or addiction. They all have multiple types. The imaging, in the context of all we do, allows us to target treatment specifically to your brain. This is Dr. Cabron Chapik at the Amen Clinics Northwest in Bellevue, Washington, and we want to help you find the right answers. Visit amenclinics.com or call 855-400-9136 to learn more and speak with the patient care coordinator today. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, November 19th show, bringing in expert advice and inside knowledge on today's events in our local economy and how they can affect your money. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. You can call the show at 1-855-411-50. Again, that's 1-855-411-50 or online at themoneyhour.com to discuss anything regarding money uh, with the guests I have in studio today or anything that you want to chat uh, with your host, myself, about. And in studio right now, having a conversation with Dr. Cabron Chapik with Amen Clinic Northwest. 
Next, how can investing in brain health improve the health of your finances? Dr. Chapta, thank you so much for uh, joining me back in studio. It's always a different spin. The show is called The Money Hour. It's all about money and how to make more money, save more money, have a better quality of life for my listeners as well as extending to their family. And so it's just an interesting topic and a spin bringing in. I really appreciate you uh, joining me in studio. Thanks for having me, Tina. And a little bit about Dr. Chapik, a licensed naturopathic physician, studied human biology at the University of Kansas, followed by naturopathic medicine at Bastyr University in Kenmore, Washington. With an interest in the mental health care field, he received his clinical psychiatric experience from 2007 to 2013 while treating patients with severe mental illness in the partial hospital program as part of the multidisciplinary team. So, Dr. Chapter, I want to just start out and share with my listeners, how does work at the Amen Clinic, working with uh, patients with different mental health and neurologic conditions, relate to finances and investments? Mm -hmm. I'm so glad to be here because, you know, brains run the world. Mm -hmm. And when you're thinking about finances, it really comes down to the decisions that you make in the moment. And so you have to have all your mental faculties firing in all cylinders to be, be able to make a good decision, right? And so um, if your brain isn't working well, you're going to have a harder time making good decisions in the moment when, you, when it really counts, when it really matters. And that makes, it makes total sense when you think about it. It's, you know, everything that we do can be attached to the health of our brain and obviously things that take such... Um, brain thought Mm -hmm. is such as financings could make a big impact. So let's talk about which part of the brain is involved in financial decision-making. Yeah. So the frontal lobe right behind your forehead is the part involved in, in decision-making focus, concentration, which we need. You're reading through contracts. You're trying to put all the pieces together Mm -hmm. and then your temporal lobes, which are right behind your temples are your memory centers involved in remembering all those facts and information that you've been reading about and thinking about. You have to pull up to make a good decision. So it all really use your whole brain in, in summary. And then there's parts of your brain that can get in the way of decision making. So they're part of the brain, kind of the old brain, the reptilian brain that's associated with survival, uh-huh. the limbic system. And if it's fired up, if you're fearful and anxious, uh, it's hard to make good decisions or you make decisions based on fear which is not always good in finances because you want to be able to um, sometimes take risks. And if you're very fearful, you're not going to be able to take risks. Um, You need to take those opportunities when they're uh, in front of you. So reducing fear helps make good decisions. Makes it makes total sense. And I, you know, I talk a lot about uh, the adrenaline as well and understanding the adrenaline that we have and using it to your benefit versus mm. allowing it to take you down. And I would imagine, you know, it could be the same yes. thing. So Dr. Cheptek, when it's uh, talk about um, common brain problems, you know, with your uh, top executives that you work with, I have a lot of uh, business owners that listen to the show. And so what are those common brain problems that, that you're seeing? You know, I'll say one in four top executives or managers have some kind of mood disorder, depression, anxiety, or learning disorder like ADD or dyslexia. It's Uh really, really common. Some use it to their advantage, like Richard Branson of Virgin America has dyslexia. Uh, Peter Knight from Check Free has ADD. And and they were, you know, Richard Knight, he said, I'm I'm either going to... uh, 
start my own company or I won't be able to do anything. I know I can't work for someone else because these folks, um, if you have ADD, your frontal lobe is, is more open. Uh-huh. Not able to focus. You can kind of imagine someone in a whirlwind with papers flying, but they've got these brilliant ideas and they're creative problem solvers. And they always have a really good type A executive that keeps them online, keeps mm-hmm. them in track and organized. And so they've figured out ways to, to make it work. But many others have a lot of difficulty with depression and anxiety. And a lot of folks in the workforce have these issues and really need help, but yes. may not may not realize it. And I want to go back to what you first said, because another thing I've, um, I always talk about is embracing your strengths and hiring out your weaknesses. So if you've got a challenge um, uh, with your health and things that are there, finding out the, the best qualities that you have and being able to shine and just with the people that you mentioned, look what they've been able mm-hmm. to accomplish, even though they have some challenges in those areas. Exactly. So with the growing number of people with Alzheimer's, um, isn't it better to just wait until you can't remember your own name and um, so you don't have to live in fear? This is a hot topic and I'm really excited to talk with you about it. Um, Since I was on last year, um, there's been a lot of development and we've figured out a lot about Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if we just think about financial, um, you you know, right now... There's 5.3 million Americans with Alzheimer's disease. By 2050, that number is going to triple. It's going to bankrupt Medicare, first of all. Um, It's the third leading leading cause of death behind um, heart disease and cancer now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it's it's growing, and currently there's no treatment. There's even no way to prevent it, according to the current conventional uh, literature and scientists and doctors. Uh, however, a neurologist out of UCLA who's just been in the lab for 27 years uh-huh. trying to research and figure out cures for Alzheimer's and dementia. He has come upon a program that has been able, he's been able to show reverses um, cognitive decline and reverses um, memory problems in folks who are headed towards Alzheimer's in 9 out of 10 patients that he did this small study for. Six had to quit working mm-hmm. and they were able to go back to work. Wow. And so we've teamed up with him. Uh, as part of the Amen clinics, we use SPECT imaging to assess the brain and then use these types of functional protocols to help improve folks with Alzheimer's, and especially early on. If there's signs of memory problems, uh, that's when you want to address it and tackle it. Yeah, and, and everything else, when I talk with experts in all arenas, when it comes towards uh, with, with money, uh, state planning, your CPA, and you know everything that you do, procrastination is something common when it comes to finances. And I think procrastination comes with anything that can mm-hmm. be um, a, a fearful thing or something that you're trying to avoid or pretend mm-hmm. that it's not there. And I would imagine that when it comes to uh, things with our brain and keeping it healthy, not procrastinating, doing exercises and things that can help strengthen mm-hmm. that yes. would be a high benefit. The more proactive you can be, the better, especially with Alzheimer's, the earlier you, you do something, then we can turn that ship. It's like a Titanic. Mm-hmm. It's going, um, uh, you know, you can do things like exercise, diet, nutrition. You get a lot of mileage out of those uh, lifestyle changes before you have to go to psychiatric medications Got and it. things that sometimes even aren't that helpful in Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. So what sort of financial investment is there in the early diagnosis of Alzheimer's? You know, the Genworth Financial uh, Survey shows that um, you can save about a million dollars over 10 years. Um now, that's based on the um, 
cost of care in assisted living. So if, if you have a late diagnosis, you're going to pay more. Uh, so it's about 500000 if you get an earlier diagnosis with assisted care. But I would like to see you know, folks get assessed way before that. Uh, with SPECT imaging, you can detect changes five to nine years before symptoms even begin to occur. So you wow. start having memory problems. That's a concern you want to check out with your doctor yes. when I get it assessed. So. so what can you do to protect your brain as you age, ultimately, hopefully mm-hmm. protecting from Alzheimer's? Yeah. What we've seen is the things that we know we should be doing. We should be exercising, getting eight hour, seven and a half to eight hours of sleep every night, uh, checking your important numbers, especially blood sugar. Type 3 diabetes is what it's called, is insulin resistance in the brain. Uh-huh. And so checking that and controlling that, sometimes doing like intermittent fasting, where you stop eating after 7, you don't eat till 7 a.m. the next morning. It's uh-huh. not like fasting for days, it's just throughout the night, 12 hours with no food, resets the insulin receptors. Um, doing things like um, brain games. Uh huh. So, you know, we think about exercise for the body. You want to exercise the brain as well. It doesn't have to be uh, Lumosity or My Brain Fit Life is another good one. Um, you can play cards. You can challenge yourself. Try to remember that grocery list uh-huh. and hold things in mind. And, and, and um, I think this is something that eventually we're all going to be into is, is uh, brain exercise. So kind of like you talked about fitness. I mean, we all know that we need to work out to stay fit. We're watching what we're eating um, mm-hmm. to keep healthy. Same thing with our brain. So if I'm hearing you correctly, I mean, if hopefully it'll be more common that um, anybody that even might not think that they're at risk of Alzheimer or some type of um, mm-hmm. uh, brain issue yeah. in, in just getting having a healthy brain, which is ultimately going to help you be smarter, be yes. um, which is going to help us in everything Happier. we do with our finances. Oh, yes. Yes. So, uh, Dr. Chapta, what can you do if you suspect that one of your loved ones has some memory problems? Mm-hmm. You want to uh, tell them that there's, there's hope, that, that we don't want to ignore that. We want to uh-huh. address it. And it may, it may be something that we can improve. And so you want to you know, have them come to the Amen Clinics for assessment or okay. see their local doctor. Uh-huh. Um, and they can do an in-office um, examination, a brief uh, test many mental status exam, there's MOCA, there's all these different tests that can be done and it can detect early signs and then know that there are things that, you, that they can do. Okay. And how does, so what is your uh, website at Amen Clinic? What's the best way to reach uh, out to you? and we're at Amen okay. Clinics Northwest in, okay. in Bellevue. Okay. So if you're listening to the show right now, you can always go to the Money, uh, the Money Hour uh, site as well to uh, get connected with uh, Dr. Chapnick and the uh, Amen Clinic. Uh, but just going in and, and um, getting a, a finding out where mm-hmm. you're at and things that you can do to... Uh, train your brain and to get it to maximize um, Mm -hmm. what it can do for us. So what are some simple ways that you can improve um, memory and keep sharp in your age? I mean, I know for myself in, you know, memorizing names sometimes can Mm. be um, challenging. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I know that there's exercises and things that I should be doing uh, as well. So what are some of those simple uh, techniques that you can share? I'd say that being sure to um, keep your stress levels low and exercise. And the way to do that is exercise. You flush out those stress hormones. Mm -hmm. You make sure your blood sugar is balanced by having protein at each meal and having healthy fats at each meal, avocados, coconut oil, things like this. So if you have a healthy physiology, you're set up to have a better memory and better focus. That's especially true for focus. Um, And then um, um, there are supplements that can be taken, actually, that can help with memory. One is called 
phosphatidylserine. It's a mouthful. I was going to say that's a mouthful. <laughs> I won't repeat it. <laughs> PS for short. Uh-huh. And it's part of cell membranes and it has been shown to help with memory in several studies at 300 milligrams. So um, there are a number of supplements. Fish oil, very helpful for yes. focus, for mood. I've heard that. Decreases brain inflammation. Mm-hmm. So the work of Dr. Del Bredesen has shown that what you need to do is look at all of these factors and put them together. So it's not just one thing, but all of the research that's been done, if we put all of these pieces together, that's where we see improvement for brain function, for ADD, for depression, for Alzheimer's. So I've got a minute and I've got to take us to uh, break. A call to action for anybody that's listening to the show right now. What should they be doing? You can change your brain. You can make it better today. You don't have to wait. Yeah. Um, and so I would encourage you to um, pick up the phone, call us for help, or just put on those running shoes and get out and exercise and start doing something for the healthier brain because you'll be happier, wiser, your relationships will be better, and you'll have better um, success in work and school. Dr. Chapdick, thank you so much for uh, coming back in studio and um, look forward to having you back again soon. It's my pleasure to be here. And this is your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, signing off for the day. Enjoy your Thanksgiving with your family next week. And I'll be here to talk with you next Saturday right here on 1150 AM KKNW. The preceding program was paid for by Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS number 7233. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Gateway Mortgage Group. Contact your local branch for more information.